What's up, my good peoples? Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast, where we're talking about ideas that stimulate wholesome thinking into identity, purpose, vision, and action. I am James Anderson. And today, we are talking about something very interesting. We are talking about making the shift. And when I say shift, I mean the paradigm shift from missions to business. You see, many people, it seems, in the missions community uh, are, you know, feeling the call to kind of shift into business. There just seems to be something practical, something beneficial, something powerful. There seems to be something uh, that God is leading many people into in the realm of business. And what can happen is there can be a bit of a, a, a challenge to make that shift from going from your kind of traditional missions where you're, you know, you go somewhere, you raise support uh, because where you go, you know, you essentially you become like a full-time volunteer and uh, you got to raise support to be able to support yourself financially. And, um, and some of the things, some of the concepts you learn in missions are kind of antagonistic towards owning a business. And because of this, it can be challenging to make that shift. You know, your desire is to please God. So whatever your current beliefs are, you're going to want to stay on track with those. And so if, you ha- if you've been taught concepts or ideas that kind of have caused you to interpret money, for instance, kind of weird, right? Like if you intentionally work a job, because some of these organization- organizations say working a job is not... Um, a correct way to fund yourself. And so with that, that kind of statement, then it's like generating your own income can kind of seem, um, you know, incorrect or like you're, you know, it, it could hold a, a, a pathway of disconnecting from God. If, if, if God's not, you know, directly making checks come in the mail then and you try to intentionally go out and do it yourself that somehow you're you're going to end up walking away from God and uh, you're trying to become quote unquote independent and so there's a lot of interesting ideas about you know money business you know versus missions. And so anyways, these concepts and these ideas can definitely hinder you from taking action. But my my aim and my goal with this episode is to help kind of lessen the strength curve, right? The amount of effort it takes to actually make the shift. My hope and my aim is to is to share some knowledge about how things work. Um to talk about a couple of these concepts that you kind of hear in missions and maybe shed a different perspective on them. 
Because look, man, if God's calling you into business, but you have ideas that are contrary to getting into business, well, then something has to be wrong, right? Either the, either, either the word from God you're hearing isn't from God, or some of the things that you've learned no longer apply. And there's, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's been said that, you know, when a space shuttle goes from Earth, it's got these massive uh, fuel tanks on the outside of uh, the vessel, and it needs those to break, get, you know, off the ground, into the sky, and then out of the atmosphere. And it because you're fighting gravity, you need quite a bit of power. So, you know, those fuel logs are are filled with gas, super heavy, super big. And but once you make it past the atmosphere, you no longer need those fuel cells. And so they fall off of the space shuttle. And the point is, is that sometimes a way of thinking is fine for a certain period of time. But then that same way of thinking is not functional for another period of time. You know, to, to continue to ascend higher and go further in life, you know, you constantly have to do new things. And when you do new things, you have to ditch some old mentalities and ideas so that you can break into some new ones. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. There's things that worked, you know, for a while and were fine. But when you want to move, make a shift and get into something new, you want to shift and get out of missions to get into business, business as missions, then you're going to have to think some different thoughts. You're going to need some more information and you're going to do, need to do some new things. And so the intent of this episode is to help you uh, along your journey. So what we're going to do is talk about two common concepts that uh, are often taught and, um, and see what we can see differently in these concepts. And then from there, we're going to talk a little bit about why business ex- exists. We're going to talk about organized society and how that functions. And then we're going to then we're going to kind of do a little case study on um, my man Dave and Steve. And Dave has this idea and that idea kind of leads him in the direction of starting a business. And Steve has an idea and Steve's idea kind of takes him in toward towards the uh, missions side of things. But by looking at this case study, we'll find out that both Dave and Steve are operating by the very same principles. And so through that, we'll see that whether you get into missions or business, it's you're operating by the same principles. So one's not like more holier than the other. So anyways, without further ado, let's get into it. So Concept number one that we're often taught in missions is that there are goers and there are senders. Now, this 
idea speaks of two separate kinds of people, right? There's the people who go, and then there's the people who fund the people who go. And what can happen is that it can seem that the people who go have a more divine call than the people who stay, because the people who stay work jobs or run businesses and have more of a quote-unquote worldly point of view. But they're saving grace, the stayers or the the senders. Their saving grace is that they can fund, quote-unquote, the goers. Now, this is a very narrow-minded point of view. Now, I don't think that the person who invented this statement had the intentions of this interpretation, but it's a very common interpretation. So common is it that you see this same concept kind of in like your typical Sunday service, right? Where the, the, the pastor is often thought to be the one called by God with a special divine role. And the people are always struggling and with being worldly. And these people need to go to church to get fed and, you know, <clears throat> and then hopefully, you know, because they come on Sunday, then they can, you know, kind of scratch and crawl through the week and hopefully make it to the next Sunday service. And this is garbage. This idea that one person has more of a divine call than others. And let me just prove that. So in Ephesians 4.11, it says this. It says, For he, talking about God, himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all become, uh, till we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, that's very interesting, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for works of service. Right? So this idea that like, you know, a pastor has more of a divine call than the people is not accurate. The, the purpose of what you call like the fivefold ministry is to teach train, equip, and deploy people into a life of purpose, right? To help people discover what their gift is, how to discover it, define it, refine it, and then serve it to the world, right? That's the role of the, you know, the quote, the, what is known as the fivefold ministry. So to think that the people in church are, are, are less than is, a malfunction. So you see, you were called, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. That means God fashioned us, created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's interesting. Christ Jesus is the resurrected born again, full power, restoration, redemption, reconciliation, like you were born from that, out of that. If you've been born again, you've been born from the resurrected. 
Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Four good works, right? Everybody's got a mission, a call, a gift, something that you... Miles said it like this. It says, the fact that you exist is proof that you hold something that this generation needs. And that, my good people, is a fact. So we're, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this is quite interesting, because why would God prepare, think about, uh, concoct, formulate? Why would he prepare your work first and then create you? Because he first had to decide what you would become and the kind of work he would get into before he created you so that he could give you, put inside of you everything you needed to be able to accomplish whatever you were being called to do. You see, and God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for works of service or for ministry or for good works. And you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Because remember, we're the light of the world. So it's like what you should be learning, what should be being taught is things that you can actually use (laughs) in everyday life, all day, every day. Not for a Sunday. I mean, I'm on a Monday. Ephesians 3.8. All right, this one was a little deep, but uh, stick with me. So this is Paul talking. He says, To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus, to the intent that now, right? So there was a mystery that was hidden, it was kept in God, but it's now revealed. And here's the intent, right? Here's what, here's what Paul's preaching, this unsearchable riches of Christ. This is what he's sharing with the Gentiles. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, so God's eternal purpose eternal, which means like forever, from the beginning and onwards, eternal, always has been. The intent is that now, the time was ripe, right, when Jesus came and was resurrected. The intent that was now, that the now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The church is not a Sunday service. It is not uh, a. Uh, it's not a meeting. It's a people. It's the people, the people who've been born again, made alive, reconnected to God. That's the church, and the intent is that those people, you and me, would manifest the manifold wisdom of God 
to the principalities and powers, right? So this still, again, right, this applies to anybody who's been made alive. So to think that one person has more of a divine call than the other is to have heard it and interpreted it inaccurately. The intent is that you would make known the manifold wisdom, the multifaceted, the multicolored wisdom of God, right, through your life. That means what you do proves that you're from God. I'm talking about like the, the way your house looks, the, the thoughts you think, the decisions you make, your perspective, how you handle situations, how you train and grow your kids, uh, how, what you do with your time, the things you build and create, how you study. All these things should demonstrate to the principalities and powers that you've been made alive in God. Everything you do should manifest the wisdom of God. That's what you have been called to. All right, Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, talking about God. There's a lot of this foreknown kind of stuff, isn't there? For those he foreknew, he foreknew, foreknew. For those he foreknew, <laughs> he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he glorified. All right. So let's break into this. So it says, those God foreknew, right? Thought about beforehand, right? Remember, what was that? Ephesians uh, 4. No, Ephesians 2, 10, right? Where God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, all right, so those he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestines means set your destination ahead of time. To be, those he foreknew, he predestined, right? Gave you the ability to become, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So the firstborn, we're talking about Jesus. The many brothers, brothers and sisters is everybody who became alive post Jesus' resurrection. So those he foreknew, talking about you and me, he also predestined to be conformed, right? To be made alike, to walk like, just like. To be conformed to the image of the Son, the resurrected Son. That he might be the firstborn, right? Of many, among many brothers and sisters. He was the first and many are to follow. Moreover, which is this is fascinating, because this actually is like you have to have these things to be able to be this thing. If, you, if we are called to be conformed to the image of the Son, then you have to have these things. This is so fascinating. And so, so many people try to reject these things because of this false understanding a uh, misconception of hum what they call humility. Like, oh, I'm no good, but God is great. But it's like, look, <laughs> that's not what this says. This says God is so great that he made you great because you were meant to be just like Jesus. And Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. So we have to reshape the way we think so that the, our thoughts, our ideals, and our beliefs actually line up with what the Bible actually says. So it says like this, moreover, come on, somebody, he who, he who he predestined, he also called. 
and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Why? Because when Jesus rose from the dead, my good peoples, he was glorified. And he justified you and me, and you've been called for a purpose. Why? Because everything God does, he does it on purpose. And when God created the world, he did it on purpose. And when God looked at the world, he thought, you know what this world needs? Man, it freaking needs you. So let us ditch these ideas that one person has more of a call than another, because that is garbage. What you need is a correct view of who you are, who you're called to be, and what you're called to get into. My God, peoples, we need to kind of, we need to get rid of these boxes that we live in, these boxes that we think in, and expand our thinking into what the kingdom of heaven actually looks like and functions like so that we can actually walk in it on purpose. Because we are made to manifest the kingdom of heaven on earth, right, to to influence this world to start to function like the kingdom of heaven. And if we are meant to do that, and if we are going to do that, and many people have been doing that and doing wonderful works, and if we are to continue in that, then, dude, you have to participate in the facets uh, that make up society. You have to go into these realms and, and freaking dominate. You have to do it, and you have to do it well. Otherwise, nobody will care. <laughs> like, you, you were called for greatness. So let's keep moving in that direction. All right, so that was the first concept, right? This idea that there's goers and senders. Look, if you're freaking alive in God, you have been called and sent. So stick that in your morning coffee. All right, this other concept we're going to talk about has to do with money. And this concept is dependency on God. Mm, Buckle up, buttercup. All right. So dependent, like dependency on God. If you're in missions, right, this is a very common um, concept that is talked about. And so this one typically has to do with money. Specifically, that God is the one who is, suppo- is supposed to provide for you. Now, I just find this kind of interesting because it's like, why is this the only area of your life uh, that God is supposed to manage? Right, like if you think about your health, right, what you eat and whether you move throughout the day or not impacts the level of your health, right? Like I think we kind of sometimes we can understand that that if if you just sit around, watch movies and eat Cheetos, like you're going to get unhealthy, but that's not God's fault, right? Like you are responsible for what you do and what you do or don't do determines what you become. So the same goes for like learning, right? If you read, listen to podcasts, messages, if you study and seek, right, then you grow in knowledge. But on the flip side, like if you just get into entertainment and you don't, you're not getting into new ideas, then you're not learning new things, right? So your growth is directly related to what you do and what you don't do. So why is income 
often thought as not dependent on you. Why is, you know, why is generating income thought of as bad? It's very interesting. I mean, you, you see it, right? You see, you see in the Bible with Jesus sending out uh, his people. You see it both ways. You see one way where he says, hey, man, don't take a, a bag of money or an extra tunic, and you go, and, and the you know, a worker is worth his wage. But then right before he was, right, so you see that. That's there. It's in there. It is in there. Paul talks about it. He says, you know, he's like, don't I have the right uh, to receive essentially money from the people he's working with, just like uh, Peter and John do? Right? Stating that, you know, some people, some of the apostles are generating income. That's a saint. This is fascinating. They're generating income because whether you're. Because no matter what side of the coin you're on, you need money. So let's reconcile that. Business, you know, people look at business and they think it's all about money, and that's actually not true. And they look about missions and it's all about service, yet you cannot, you will not be able to serve very long without money. Because you need money in organized society. Both your quote-unquote missions guy and your business guy both need income, and that is a fact. But often in the missions, it's thought of as like money is bad, and it's only good if God provides it for you. And if you try to provide it for yourself, then you're somehow stepping outside of God's will and taking your life into your own hands. But it's like if you look at like the parable of the talents— What you do determines what you become. What you do determines your reward. Whether you were faithful with little, and I don't just mean like you were getting by with little. I mean that you took the resources you had, you learned, you cultivated some ideas, and then you, you, you cultivated and used what you had to bring about greater increase. Earl Nightingale said it like this, very interesting. In, the, um, in his audio program called Lead the Field. Highly recommend this. Um, Earl Nightingale said it like this when he was explaining how to increase your income. He says, the amount of income you earn is in direct proportion to your contribution. Right? So Earl's saying that your income works just like your health and your growth. Right? It's affected by what you do or you don't do, the, the amount of service that you bring. Right, Your income is in direct proportion to your contribution. All right, so let's bust into a couple of these uh, verses here and um, <clears throat> see what we can see. So in Matthew 6, 25... Right, this is where Jesus is talking about uh, seek first the kingdom. Uh, bam. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can anyone, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? That's actually kind of funny because most people take away hours from their life by by worrying. And let's just get clear, right? He's talking about worrying. He's not talking about planning is bad, effort is bad. He's talking about worrying doesn't actually solve any problems. Right? There's that uh, verse, he's, uh, maybe it's here, maybe it's somewhere else, but the idea that like who by worrying can add, you know, an inch to their height or change the color of their hair on purpose by worrying. He's like, nobody. And if you can't do something that simple, why would you do it at all? And when I think about that, I think about then like the worry versus faith. Because worry is faith, but just like in the limited. Right? Like you're picturing something negative or something not working out, and then you start to believe that what you see is going to happen. You start to believe that that limitation, the lack, the want, the is, is going to overtake you. And you, you believe it. You start to believe, you start to put faith in shortage. But I contrast that to faith, you know, because he's like, if you can't do something so simple as change your height or um, change the color of your hair with this process of worrying, then why would you do it? But contrast that to faith, because what if he's saying, it's like, but with faith, like the true like insight application of faith. What if you, what if you could change your height? What if you could change the color of your hair? That's sexy. All right. <clears throat> what he said? All right. So we're talking about the birds, right? He said, look at the birds. Check this out. Whenever God gives like a real life example, it would behoove you to like actually consider that example. Because that inside that example is insight into something he's trying to explain. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much more valuable uh, are you than they? All right. So he said, look at the birds. So let's consider the birds. All right, birds, birds of a feather. All right, have you ever, right? Because it says birds don't sow or reap or store away in barns, but your heavenly father feeds them. All right, have you ever actually seen, right? Like an angel bring a bird a worm. Have you ever just seen a bird just sit in the nest, an adult bird sit in the nest and just wait for somebody to bring them a bird? Uh, a worm. No. You see, because I think we look at this passage and we think, all right, well, I just, I just got to do my thing and God's going to provide for me. But I think, I think if we take a better look at this, we might see this from a different angle because a bird doesn't just sit there and wait and hope and pray that God is going to bring them breakfast. No, God gave them the ability He gave them the tools and the instinct. Birds, he gave instinct to. You and me, he gave the Holy Spirit. So 
he put inside of the birds everything they would need to be able to do everything they were created to do, right? Right? Like, God doesn't come down and, like, teach each individual bird how to build a nest. No, he put that ability inside of them. They don't go to, like, a even... They're not learning from other birds. There's not, like, a, 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 a nest-building school. It's just inside of them. He put it in there. He gave them the ability, right? That's the tools. Then he also gave them the resources, which would be the worms. And he gave them everything they needed to be able to get those worms. So a bird flies out of their nest and goes and seeks out a worm in the dirt, scratches, claws, whatever, with their, their feet and their beaks. And they're able to eat. Like, it's not just brought to them. They go and they work for it. But he says, like, look, they don't store up in barns. They don't reap. They don't sow. Now, again, we are not birds. But he's saying, look at them and look how God provides for them. But in the context, he's talking about worrying. He's like, look, there's not going to be shortage. (laughs) I gave you the ability to manage resources. And by manage, I don't just mean use what you have, but the ability to increase what you have. So a bird has the ability because God put it in there, and they have the resources in the earth to be able to feed themselves, right? You know, flight, there's no flight school. Uh, You know, sometimes a mom bird pushes the young bird out of the nest because the young bird, you know, is scared. And it's, you know, this whole getting out of the nest is like full of the unknown. What's going to happen? I don't know. So the mommy bird is like, look, flying is inside of you. You just need the right conditions and circumstances to realize that. So the mom pushes the bird out of the nest and lo, that thing begins to fly because the ability is in you. So the birds don't just sit passively by and hope and wish for something to show up. They work for it. And that's not unholy. That's how God created it. All right. Let's look at manna because manna was an interesting uh, concept in the Old Testament when uh, Israel was wandering around in the desert. So there was a period of time, uh, you know, around 40 years to be exact, Um maybe plus a few, where God provided manna for the people, right? They would wake up in the morning uh, six days a week, and the dew would kind of create this wafer cracker thing, and that would be what they would eat. And and it's called manna, and manna means, what, what is it? And so... During this time, this 40 years, they were like wandering in the desert. So, you know, without any kind of, um, without any indicator of when things would change, God would just like, you know, he was there in the the pillar of the cloud by day and the, and the fire by night. Well, when the cloud would rest, that's then where they would camp. They'd set up camp. But when the cloud raised, they would get up and they would leave and move to a new place. But like, this wasn't, 
it wasn't, God would not instruct the people like, hey, in 10 days, we're going to get up and go. It would just like, he would get up and then everybody would get up. And so you didn't have the ability to plant crops and grow stuff. It was more like, we're like constantly on the move. And I think a lot of people actually kind of still, this is, this is like a mentality that is taught is that you don't have insight into what God's will is or, or what you're called to do, but it's like every day is a mystery. And you know, and if the cloud moves and you got to move where it's like, once they got into the promised land, things functioned differently and you had to have vision and purpose and take greater levels of responsibility. And, uh, anyways, so the manna, all right. in Joshua five, because this is interesting. So they were in the the wilderness for 40 years and that's because they were killing off (laughs) all the adult people who didn't make it into the promised land the first time because, because look, man, when God calls you into something new, it requires a new mentality, a new way of thinking. And if you don't change the way you think, you won't, you, you, you won't be able to do the things you need to do because the things you need to do, you have a belief system that says those are contrary like, no, I shouldn't do that. But if you don't do it, then you won't be able to continue to move down the pathway because what you do and don't do matters. And it affects what happens and what you become. So the manna was going down for 40 years, but then everybody everybody died and uh, bing, bada, booyah, it was time to cross the Jordan and start to make some moves into the promised land. And so that's where we're at. So Joshua 5. Uh, let's see. This is the day after the Passover, that very day. So they were they already crossed over the Jordan. They had the Passover. That very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. And there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate the produce of Cana. Canaan. Canaan. So you could look at this, right? So it says, the day after the Passover, they ate some produce of the grain, and then the very next day the manna stopped. You could look at this from a religious point of view and think, oh, see, look, they took things into their own hands, and now God stopped providing for them. You could look at it from a negative point of view, but you would be looking at it inaccurately. You see, this was a shift. This was a change. This was kind of coming out of needed to be provided for, uh, kind of the slave mentality, because Israel had been in Egypt for... Well, I think they were like slaves for 300 and some odd years because they were, you know, uh, what's his bucket? Joseph. Joseph and his family were there for some time. And eventually then they all became slaves. And so you had generation after generation after generation who was born into slavery and only knew slavery. Well, that's the type of mindset where somebody else is giving you the vision. Somebody else is telling you what to do. Somebody else is telling you when to work. Somebody else is telling you when you can go home. Somebody else is providing your food. Somebody else is leading your life. Well, the promised land was 
required self-governing. What you did mattered. Personal responsibility, vision, purpose. Like you had to come up with these things. If you didn't plant, then you didn't reap. <laughs> what you did mattered, right? So what happened was this was a shift. This was a graduation. This was a change of times and seasons where they went from every day needing God to provide manna for them to then now they had to learn how to provide for themselves. And that's what happened, right? They ate of the fruit of the land and they graduated. The times had changed. And now there was a new order. There was a new way to think and there was a new way to act. There was a new way to spend your time, right? They weren't just wandering around in the desert. Now they had to like have homes and and grow roots and have families and, you know, have farms and animals and grow and increase. That was, that was the thing, right? So here's Moses in Deuteronomy, which is right before Joshua, because Deuteronomy is like Moses' farewell speech. And, you know, and over and over and over, Moses is like, look, you're going to go into the promised land. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be full of abundance. But holy freaking cow, do not forget God. This is like over and over is what he's saying. So in uh, Deuteronomy 8.18, it says this, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so his it so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. It is God who gave you the ability to produce wealth. Right? He's like, look, man, you guys are going to produce wealth. You're going to get fat. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. But don't go in there thinking that it was like it was all you. It's like God gave you the ability to produce wealth. Right? That goes back to the word, the, the birds and the worms. God gave the birds ability to be able to find worms, to be able to feed themselves and feed their babies, to continue to the, the reproduction of uh, the bird population. He gave them the ability, the tools, and the insight. Well, that's the same with us. He gave us the abilities. In Genesis 2, right, it talks about how there's gold in the hills, and there's precious stones, and there's oil. God created it, and he did it on purpose. So let's get into this, right? If we go back just a little bit more and get into Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We were called to rule, to govern, to manage the resources of this earth and cause the face of the earth to be covered with the pattern of the kingdom of heaven, right? That's what we were called to do. You have the ability to use the resources that God gave us, just like the bird, to cultivate wonderful and beautiful things. What we do matters, and how you look at life matters. Because if you think that, like, 
no, I'm just supposed to eat manna. If I do anything else, then that's, then stuff's going to, God's going to stop providing for me. That's fear. That's shortage. That's God, a picture of God who is very stingy. It's a very religious, strict, and inaccurate point of view of who God is and who you are. You were called with the ability to create, to move, to think, to build, to generate, to increase, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. To subdue means to bring into bondage. You were called to take something that was like wild or desolate and cultivate it into something that was functional and beautiful. That's the ability that God gave you because you were created in his image, in his likeness, of his nature. That's where you came out of. People say, oh, human nature, and it's typically the thing that follows is very negative. Oh, people are lazy. That's just human nature. No, my nature came from God. I was made in the image of God, and I will freaking prove it with my life. I will prove that I was made in the image of God by how I live. Remember, Paul said it, God's intent was that the manifold wisdom of God be demonstrated by his people to the powers and principalities. The function of your life should prove the functionality of the kingdom. All right, so those are kind of the two bait. There's many more concepts we could talk about, but these two concepts, right? How you view yourself and how we view money and like how, you know, whether or not it's okay if you <laughs> try to take the reins. <clears throat> it's so funny, right? Because people, people talk about... <clears throat> priorities, right? They're like, okay, I got, I, we got to have these priorities of life. Okay. First it's God, then it's family, then it's church, then it's work, then it's whatever. And what's, what I think is interesting is like, we separate God from all those things. We say, well, God is first. Well, look, man, God is in everything I do because God is in me. So everything I think, every action I take, every move I make, every direction I go, I, it is woven together in God. You cannot separate me and God. You can't do it because the fibers of my being are woven together with his. Everything I do then comes and functions out of that reality. So to think that you have to separate these two, like working a job is somehow then separate from your life and God, that is total garbage. <clears throat> Whatever I do, I do it on purpose. Because we were created on purpose. On purpose means there was an original idea of why you existed. And in Genesis 1, it lays it out, why you exist. Right? He says, then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply, it means to produce things of value. It does not just mean to make babies. It means that you create things of value. We were called, right? He said, fill the earth and subdue it. You were, they were, the, the mandate was to take the pattern of the garden and to manifest it, grow it, increase it, multiply it, cause it to grow and expand until it covered the entire face of the earth. That was the mandate, to work. Well, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of nations. What is that? that that's like the exact same thing. You're called to go into all the world to produce things of value and cause the whole face of this earth to function and look like the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're called to do. Well, you cannot and you will not influence the, the full functionality of society if you do not participate in all the facets of society. And to think that some people, like, it's off limits and other people it's not is kind of a weird point of view.
So let's just look at that. Let's move on and get into organized society. Because organized society is very interesting. It's, <clears throat> and I think if we can kind of better start to understand this, it can, uh, it can help expand our minds a little bit. So organized society functions off of service. It's very fascinating. Every, right? Remember, what, what did Earl Nightingale said? He said, uh, the, the amount of income you earn is in direct proportion to your contribution. Meaning like the value of your service, how much value it brings, impacts the amount of income you have. See, when we're talking about like the value that you have to offer, we're not talking about we're not we're not talking about the value you have as as an individual, a human being, right? You have total value. But when we're talking about generating income, we're talking about the value that you have to offer to another human being. Like, what do you have that's going to increase the value of somebody else's life? You see, organized society functions off of service. And in organized society, right, it's typically, it's like somebody provides a product or a service in exchange for money. And so in order for you to receive what somebody else created, you exchange money. Therefore, in organized society, you need money. It's just a fact. It is a fact, right? If you want to go to Brazil and run around, you know, in uh, animal skin, barefoot, or making sandals out of the woods and just live out of the woods, then you can kind of disconnect from organized society. But it's like, it, you know, if you want to, if you want to go quote unquote off the grid, you're going to need a lot of things that organized society provides for you to be able to do that. It's quite, quite interesting. So, <clears throat> Organized society functions off of service. It functions off of people with specialized knowledge, right? One person specializes, one person or a group of people specialize in like a specific field. And another group of people specialize in a different field. And then another group in a different field, in a different field, in a different field. And what happens is then you have all these different resources that somebody else cultivated, created, the ideas they had that they cultivated into real-life products that served other people. And because everybody is participating, right? This is that organized part. Because everybody's participating, one person is serving another person and another person serving that person. And so, therefore, we're all working together to have the things that we have. You know, so for, for example... I have, there's a gas line that goes from, you know, my street to my house, natural gas. That gas gives me the ability to run my water heater and my heater in the wintertime, my forced air heater. I do not know how to look for natural gas in the earth. I do not know how to capture it or process it into a usable product. I would have no idea how to create the structures and the construct to then provide that to whole entire cities. 
But somebody, other people figured it out. Other people created the ability to to extract natural gas from the earth, somehow capture it, somehow convert it into usable fuel. Then they they figured out how to uh, get it to all kinds of people in an entire city, all over the place. Somebody else figured that out. So every month I have a gas bill because I consume gas and therefore I pay for the gas. There's a, there's a, we have a contract that says whatever gas I use, I will pay for. And I happily do it because I like when it's two degrees outside that it is 70 degrees in my house. That is very functional. It's very beneficial. What somebody else did, the work they did and are continuing to do to upkeep everything, to ensure that I keep getting gas to my house, what they are doing is very beneficial. It serves me. It helps my family, right? I have a fireplace, but look, man, if, 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 our, if, if all of a sudden the gas company was like, you know what, it's, um, it's not right that we charge you guys gas. It's not right. It's not functional. It's not, uh, it's not proper that we have this business, and so we're going to shut down. And all of a sudden now we know none of us get gas, that would cause a pretty big problem because organized society has a very practical function of service. So one person or a group of people provides a service and other people happily pay for it because of the benefit it brings. What about the grocery store? Grocery store is very interesting because these days, right, you have like something like a Walmart or Target or whatever, where you have one store that tries to provide pretty much most of the, the, the daily things you need into one place. This was an idea because before this was not, this was not uh, how it was. You'd have a grocery store, you'd have a, a clothes store, you'd have a shoe store, you'd have, you know, a hardware store, whatever. But now they have these grocery stores that have all these different facets, you know, fans, they got hardware, they got clothes and shoes and, and uh, toys and all kinds of crazy things, right? So that you can go to one place and get a myriad of things that you would need. Therefore, you wouldn't have to go to a ton of different stores to get what you need. That was somebody's idea because they were thinking, how could we better serve the customer? How could we make it more convenient for them to get what they need? Well, what if we put everything they needed into one place? This is very interesting because you see a store like Walmart or Target. They have their own name brand stuff, but that's not all right? There are tons of other manufacturers of goods and products that provide products, right? Like, so like cereal, you get uh, a company who provides, you know, special K, whatever. All right. Well, they're selling, they're able to sell the product that they make through the grocery store. So now you're able to get that product because the grocery store had become a place where multiple businesses and organizations and companies can come and sell all their products in one place. And now this store can have like the best of the best and you can come and you can choose. You have choices. You, you don't like Special K? You could get Captain Crunch. You don't like that? You could get uh, Raisin Nut brand crunch, whatever. You know what I mean? Like you, 
they gave you so many options because somebody had an idea thinking about how could we better serve the customer. Well, look, organized society is very functional. You know, like the shoes you wear, the socks you wear, the shirts, the shorts, the pants, the hats, the whatever. Somebody else made those. Some kind of manufacturing company started up. They figured out how to create a product. And now we benefit from that product. That's organized society. And in order to purchase these things, you need money. And you exchange that money. It's, it's quite, the old uh, capitalism is quite fascinating. So organized society functions off of service. All right. So then let's get into this then. So why do businesses exist? Businesses exist because they solve some kind of problem or they fulfill some kind of need, right? A business, you do two things, right? One or two things or both. You either provide a service or a product. So like uh, internet, like I don't even understand internet. I don't understand Bluetooth. I don't understand Wi-Fi. I do not understand how one signal goes from one thing to another thing. I don't understand. It's crazy. Yet, somebody had specialized knowledge that had an idea and then cultivated that idea into something fabulous that then benefited all kinds of people. That's, that's, that is organized society where what you do isn't just about you. It's about the people who you can serve it to. It's about the people whose lives will be impacted by what you do, by what you make. So businesses exist because they solve kind of some kind of problem or fulfill some kind of need. So you make a product or service. You know, so internet, right? We go back to internet. Internet provides both a product and a service, right? They're 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 they come out and they'll maybe they give you a router, which you should always buy your own router, otherwise they charge you for it. Who knew that? Um, anyways, they provide a service, right? They give you they 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 bring a line out to your house to connect you to it, and then from there you can put in a router and then you can have Wi-Fi throughout your house. So they they're providing that line, that direct access, and then the service is the ongoing, you know, ability and maintenance of that line. That is very functional. You know, it's often thought about, it's like you think about these big corporations, you're like, well, they're all just greedy. They're all, you know, you know, the, the person in charge is making all the money and everybody else is suffering. Well, <clears throat> let's just take a second, right? Let's look at like, you know, a company like Apple or Samsung or whatever, right? Who, who are making like smartphones, computers, TVs. I, mean, I don't know if Apple makes a TV, but somebody had an idea, right? I mean, this went all the way back to who is that? Uh, Bell, right? Whatever his name was. <clears throat> who created the first phone that was connected through a line. And through innovation and greater knowledge over time, you come up with like this, this cell phone that doesn't have to be connected, hardwired to a, a network. It's now like all just through invisible frequencies through the air. It's fascinating. 
I mean, how many people would say like, hey, man, I cannot do what I'm doing without my phone? How many people like have, have like the phone, they would say a phone is a necessity because, it, because of what it connects you to, what it gives you the ability to do. That's a byproduct of somebody starting a business, of saying, hey, how can we make a product that will serve another human being. I mean, a computer used to take up an entire room. And before that, there was no computer. There was what you wrote on a piece of paper. And then you made this digital computer. And then they figured out how to put a computer that used to fit in a room that could only do a few basic basic functions to now you have the supercomputer in your pocket. That's the byproduct of business, of people having ideas, of continuing to learn, to research, to, 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 you know, have trial and error, to practice, to see, all right, what if we could do this? What if we had this? What if we could make it this small? What if we could do this? You know, how could we make this computer chip smaller? How could we make it faster? How could we make it better? With all the intent of how can you better serve the customer? How can you better serve the people around you? And how do the people, how do the people benefit from what you create? That's why businesses exist. They exist because they solve some kind of problem or fulfill some kind of need, right? I had a handyman business. People would, would happily call me, and they would call me over and over again to fix various problems they had, right? I became quite good at painting and drywall repair. Drywall, drywall repair, you know, is a bit of an art. <clears throat> and lots of people didn't know how to do it or didn't want to do it. Right, like they just didn't have the time or didn't want to spend the time and the effort. Right, they would much rather use the money, the income that they created. They would rather use that to hire me to be able to solve a problem for them. What did I? What am I doing? I'm serving them. And what am I getting in in return? Income, which allows me to get somebody else's product or service that then serves me. Like this is organized society, and this is business. But let's talk about the current of society. And when I mean current, I mean like the flow, like a river has a current. And if you hop in that river, it will take you somewhere specific. And so, you know, the current of society kind of has, you know, a specific, specific kind of direction. And... The, the current is that one thing leads you to another thing, right? So elementary school, you know, you, you get into preschool and preschool kind of prepares you for kindergarten and kindergarten prepares you for first grade, and first grade, second grade, right? So elementary school, you know, the idea is that you're continuing to progress and each year is building off the next. Well, elementary school prepares you for junior high and junior high prepares you for high school and high school prepares you for college and college prepares you to get a job. Well, is very interesting because, you know, we all learn math, right? Like we all learn addition, subtraction, division, right? And some of us remember how to do it better than other people. But there's some things that we all learn, but then there's a lot of things that we do not learn and that are not common. Now, like it's not across the board. You know, if, if, if we all talked about addition, it's the majority of people have been through addition and know 
how to do addition. So it's interesting, right? Be, because what is common is common. It's, it's normal. It's like, okay, yeah, no, we all know how to do that. And we can all do that. But it's like, what happens when you're not taught something? If you don't learn how something works, then you don't know how it works. Well, that's kind of like, you know, if, if, if everything kind of prepares you to get into college and college is preparing you to get a job, right? They're like, you got to have this degree to be able to get a job. Well, why are we going down the current with the perspective that you need to get a job? Why aren't we going down the current being like, this is how jobs are created? Because, because the current of society is more job-oriented, we think in terms of jobs, right? Resumes, I, I need a job. Right? And because there's not, uh, it's not necessarily like across the board common to get into why businesses exist, how organized society functions, you know, the benefits of it how businesses are created and why they're created. How are jobs created, right? We're, we're taught to get jobs, but we're not taught how they're created. And what happens is this lack of knowledge creates some weird perspectives. It creates room to have incorrect perspectives just because we lack knowledge. And so people are like, look, man, we deserve higher pay and we, we deserve better jobs and more jobs. But it's funny. It's like, why, why, why are people feeling entitled to pay to the amount of pay they get and the types of jobs that are that are uh, available. I think it's interesting because you see a job is an opportunity that somebody else created. So we want to get out of this idea that like, hey, I just need a job. And think, well, how are jobs created? Because look, you don't have to create your own business. But you do need to think like this because if you think like this, this is, this is where you can add more value. Remember, what did Earl Nightingale say? He said, the amount of income you earn is in direct proportion to your contribution. So if you can, if you can understand how jobs are created, how are businesses started, why do businesses exist, then you can start thinking, well, how can I bring more value what actually brings, what, what, would the, what could I do that the, the company would be like, dang, like you just increased our value. You increased our bottom line. You made the culture better. You're doing, what, what does the company need? Not just what are they asking you to do. What does the company need to grow and expand? And when you start thinking like that, then you start thinking in ways of how to add more value. This is when your income begins to grow because you're thinking what brings more value to the company. Now you're not just thinking, what are my tasks? How fast can I do them and get out of here? You're thinking, what can I do that will actually bring value? See, when we all start to think like that, now we're starting to think kingdom. You see, because everybody was given a gift. That gift is a solution to a problem and it's the fulfillment of a need. And a business is merely a vehicle to realize your purpose. It's not the only vehicle, but it is a vehicle. And businesses have provided service, beneficial service, to all kinds of peoples for a really long time. And it's not going away. 
So let's look at how jobs are created. Jobs are created by someone or a group of people who created a solution to a problem. They got sold on what they had to offer other people. They figured out how to create demand for that product or that service. This demand created the ability and the necessity to grow the business. And thereby, if they had to grow their business, it created opportunities for other people to come and add value in exchange for value. So somebody first had to have an idea, right? They, they had to, you know, what if I could create this product and what if this product actually solved a problem? So first you got to have the idea. Then you create the product or the service, right? Well, then you got to create, because look, man, just because you have a business does not mean that people are going to purchase from you. If they don't know you exist or what you have to offer, or if what you have to offer isn't what people actually want or need, then it's not going to work. People do not just purchase from a business because it's a business. They're like, oh, you have an LLC? Oh, well, let me give you some extra money I have. Like, that's not how it works. People purchase things they actually want. People purchase things that they actually need. People purposely purposely and intentionally purchase what they want or need. So first, you got to have an idea, right? Somebody has an idea to create some kind of product, some kind of service. Then they have to create the demand. They have to break above the noise of the marketplace and get some people's attention. It says, hey, I got this product. You have this problem. I know you have this problem. I know this problem exists, and there are people out here with it. Now we need to create enough awareness that this product exists and show people that this product can actually solve your problem. And then when people actually discover it, they're like, hot dang, that's actually what I've been looking for. I didn't even know I needed that, but I do need that. Like that would actually solve this problem. I just didn't know it existed until I saw it existed. But that takes a considerable amount of work and effort. So people are like, well, hey, you know, we want better jobs. We want more pay, but they don't actually understand the amount of effort it takes to create something that has demand. So when the demand increases, so the business increases. And if you need more products, you need more service, you need more techs, right? These are jobs being created because now you need more people. And now you're going to train these people to do this job. And now people are going to have a job to work. And not only that, but they're going to have a place to add value a place to use your gift, a a way to serve other people, a way to contribute to society, right? If you're purchasing things, that makes you a consumer. But if you're making things or serving other people, what's that make you? A prosumer? (laughs) I don't know, know, but it, it, it... it causes you to be a person who then contributes. You're a contributor. That's the word. You don't just want to be a consumer. You want to be a contributor. You want to add value to other people. All right, so jobs are created by somebody who starts a business and is able to grow that business to the point where you need to bring other people on. 
So, you know, you think about like a, uh, the franchise of Walmart. I mean, it's fascinating how many jobs Walmart has created because they came up with a solution to a problem. They got so sold on that solution that they thought big ideas. How do we not just have one store, but how do we have thousands of stores all over the country, everywhere, every major city? How do we get a store or more in that area? That's big thinking. But look, you're not going to have those big thoughts if you think businesses is bad, if, if, if creating money is bad. If, if all you think is businesses exist to create money, that's, that's just not true because nobody just gives money to business because a business exists. They give, they exchange money for something, for a service or a product. Therefore, if, if a business is going to succeed, they have to actually provide a product that actually serves the customer. Businesses ex exist because they solve a problem or fulfill a need. They somehow serve the person they're giving it to. That's why businesses exist. And for that, we exchange money. And now look, the more intricate problems you solve... <laughs> the more your product becomes worth, right? A candy bar, anybody can get a candy bar. You know, a surgeon, there's not, there's not as many surgeons as there are candy bars, right? One is more challenging to make, a, a quality surgeon, that, that process. Uh, we're talking about two very different things. But the idea is that... <clears throat> The, the type of service, the quality of service, and the uniqueness of the service depends on, you know, what somebody will pay for it. That's my point. So that's why businesses exist. It's because they solve some kind of problem or fulfill some kind of need. All right. So this is the last section. And this is where I want to take a quick look at, um, I want to take a quick look at two people, my man Dave and my man Steve. Dave is going to go in the direction of creating a business. And Steve is going to go in the direction of getting into missions. And what we are going to find is that both Dave and both Steve are operating on the very same principles. You see, missions is a type of vehicle. Business is a type of vehicle. Education is a type of vehicle. Media is a type of vehicle. Science is a type of vehicle. And to think that one vehicle is better than the other is to not think correctly. And to think one is more holy than the other is not correctly. Because people will look at businesses and, and they'll see all the negative things. Oh, these people are just trying to rip you off. Oh, businesses are all just about money. And that obviously we just proved that that cannot be true because people will not continue to purchase a product that sucks. It just won't happen. You could get away with it for a little while, but then it'll be found out and nobody will buy. Because you cannot have a business that doesn't actually serve the customer. It's just not, it's just not real. But you could look at all the negatives and you think, well, yeah, but what about this? And what about greed? And what about that? Well, 
to think that that only happens in these other social constructs and not to think it happens in missions or religion is to be ignorant. Because there are massive negative things that go down in missions and in religion, in what is called Christianity specifically. So to think that all those negative things don't happen in these places is to be void of knowledge. So let's just create an even playing field that whatever direction, like you're seeing your gift, you have the freedom and the ability, and I say the obligation to move in that direction. But remember, the, the, one of the biggest things that's going to that's gonna slow you down is your belief system, the ideals that you hold. If, if you hold ideas that are contrary to what you need to do in business or in education or in, 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 in government or any facet of society, if you hold ideas that are contrary to the, the effort, I'm not talking about being people with no morals. That would be stupid. I'm talking about bringing the kingdom and being a person of value and moral standing in any area of society. But if you think being in that, that, that area is somehow against God, then it's going to hinder you from moving in that direction. But, the, but see, but here's the thing you, you have to reconcile in your mind. <clears throat> and this is the battle of the mind. But this is where you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, where you become totally different by changing the way you think. Either God is calling you in, the, either God is calling you in that direction or he's not. If God's calling you in that direction, but you feel like, hey, I'm going to be walking away from God if I walk in that direction, then that's not either God calling you or some of the things that you learned are not actually accurate. And you have to decide which way is right. And I would say it's generally the way you think is the thing that needs to be changed. Right? If you know that God is leading you in the direction, but then you have these thoughts of fear, doubt, worry, insecurity, identity crisis, well, this is going to be wrong. I'm going to walk, you know, I'm going to walk away from God. How could God be calling you into something that's going to cause you to walk away from him? Doesn't that sound stupid? But it's very easy to get into that trap. And what's more is that if you don't know that's what's happening, it's like you, you, you become double-minded because you have this desire to move, but then you've got this mentality that says stay. And that whole process is not very fun. But what it, what it can do is create this massive dissatisfaction. And it's, it's, gener- it's, it's pretty much the, the process, this, this process of growing into mass dissatisfaction which is where it's like you constantly see what you can become, what you could do, what you could create, what you know, you know. There's moments where you just know this is what God has for you. But then you spend a lot of time marinating in the fact that you shouldn't or it's scary or I just don't know what's going to happen. And you're afraid to act. And if you continue this battle because you're like, I refuse to let go of this idea this purpose, this mission, this call on God, but you're constantly struggling with these old ideas. If you refuse to let go, then here's the process that you, you will embark on, is you will create such, this, this, this can be quite a process, quite a period of time, but you will create, hopefully, 
You will create such dissatisfaction for the status quo because you will see what is possible, that you can no longer stay where you are. So you will you will have this mental and emotional wrestling match, and it will suck, and it will go on and on and on and on until the day you're like, freaking forget this. Come what may, I am going to give it a shot. I am moving in this direction. And you will commit to something that creates change. You will either move out of where you are to move into something else. You will, you will quit what you're doing to, you know, get a job or go to school or go to a seminar or get into, get out of one group to go into a new group who's, who's going in the direction or can help you go in the direction that you want to go. You will have this battle until the day you say enough is enough. I'm taking action on this idea. And that will then embark you. You will be. You will then embark on a new chapter of life. But my my hope is that I can help you uh, shorten. <laughs> For those of you who overthink and you know are struggling with these ideas, my hope is that your journey and your process will be much shorter. Right, your ability to have the idea figure out what you need to do and move there. I want that process to be as smooth and as quick as possible. I don't want you to get hung up on these ideas and sit and marinate and struggle for a long time before you finally create enough dissatisfaction to take action. My hope is that we can lower that strength curve and get you jamming now. So let's look at this real quick and then we'll wrap it up. Um, so bam, we got, we got Dave, Dave's creating a business and Steve, Steve's getting into missions. So let's just kind of just get into the beginnings of their journeys. All right. So as, as in anything, right, everything begins with an idea, right? Your desire to get into business starts out with an idea to, to move into a new direction. If you want to do anything new, it starts out with an idea, a picture of a possibility of what could be. So my man Dave, right? My man Dave, he's going through life and through some experiences, some ups and downs, and just some observations and some self-reflection. He just, he sees this problem. He had this problem and maybe he overcame this problem. And he sees that other people also have this problem. And he's like, you know what? What if? What if? What if is a question of possibility and potential. What if is how wonderful things are created? Things that seemed absolutely insane, like somebody wanting to create an aircraft or somebody taking somebody to the moon. That idea is insane. Yet, somebody decided to make it happen when it had never happened before. Many ideas seemed impossible until somebody who got so sold on the idea made it possible. So Dave is thinking, right? He's thinking, what if, right? What if, what if, what if I could create this product and I could walk somebody through the process to be able to do the specific thing? Dude, this would help so many people. Because what I have learned, because what I have learned has helped me. And if I could help somebody else learn what I've learned, dude, it would help them. 
Right. So Dave's thinking about this. He's thinking about this product, what it could look like, what it could do, you know, what, what would it need? And then he's picturing like people interacting with it and like they're like the, the light bulb going off in their mind and, and they're just, they're now they're seeing something they didn't see before. And now they're able to do more things that they couldn't do before. And so Dave's just getting pumped, right? Cause he's just thinking, dude, this is epic. If I could create this product and I could solve this problem, this could be sweet. But what if, Right, we're still like the the dream's just getting bigger. He's like, but what if? What if? What if these people? What if it so possibly impacted these people that they told their friends and their neighbors and their colleagues about it, and then the demand for this product grew? He's like, what if? What if? What if I? What if this could be like how I spend my time? What if this this service, this product, this thing that I could create, what if this could be like the pathway to owning my own business? Like I could generate income to live off this and what I, the service that I have to offer to other people could be how I generate my income. So through a process of time, you know, and thinking, you know, and, and writing down ideas and just kind of seeing how this process would go, Dave he got sold on this idea and he's like, all right, I'm going to dedicate my time to developing this product. So Dave has an idea. Dave got inspired. Dave saw something. He saw a problem that, that he had and figured out how to solve it. And then he, he became aware that other people also had that problem. And he's like, but look, I, I, I came up with a solution. What if I could solve that problem for other people? What if I could be, you know, a pathway to this so solution for other people? And then he's like, all right, well, let's just start connecting all these dots, thinking, well, shoot, what if, you know, I could become, I could develop such a good product that people would purchase it, but they wouldn't just purchase it, but it would impact their lives and then, you know, then people would share it, the, 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 the knowledge and awareness of this product would grow, which would create more demand, which would mean more sales, which means Dave could then have his own business where he didn't need to have a job anymore, but he could, he could sustain himself through his own efforts. That's beautiful. That's how businesses start, is that everything starts with an idea. But it was an idea of like, how could I help other people uh, solve this problem that I had? How could I take what I've learned and help somebody else with it? That is the foundation of business. All right. So that's Dave. That's, that's, that's Dave's beginnings. All right. So let's hit up my man, Steve. Steve... Steve, one day, he goes to church, right? He, on a Sunday morning, gets all dressed up, heads out, bam. And it just so happens that a missionary was the guest speaker. Now, Steve never thought about being a missionary before, right? Because whatever, it just it wasn't like a, a prominent example in his environment, right? So, I mean, if, if you don't get taught it, never learn it, never hear about it, you wouldn't necessarily get into it. But on this one particular day, you got this guest speaker, and he talks about his experience of, of being in another country, meeting new people, doing cool things, solving specific kinds of problems. And all of a sudden, right, Steve's listening to this guy, 
But then the, the guy starts to get tuned out and Steve just starts going into like his imagination and he starts to see himself in another country helping other people. He starts to picture himself being a solution to a specific kind of problem. Well, Steve starts to get pumped up, right? Because he, 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 all of a sudden, right, this idea, he hears this guy, which gives him fuel for new imaginings that he didn't have access to until he had the idea. And so now he's picturing himself doing these crazy things. So Steve starts to think, right? He's like pumped. He's like, dude, what if, uh, he's like, dude, I could do that. I could do what that guy is doing. Now, at the end of the message, the guest speaker asks for money. He says, hey, in order for me to go back and continue this great work with these people, I need to raise $10,000. And if you, by you partnering with me, you are helping these people, what I'm doing and you're helping to fund, you're a part of, right? So he's selling people on his vision and on his dream. And Steve, Steve's so inspired, right? Because he's just, man, he's listening to this guy. He's getting pumped up. He's seen himself in this guy. He's seen his potential in what this guy is sharing. And bam. So he's like, all right, heck yeah, man. A little, he, Steve throws down 100 bucks to support him. And when Steve goes home, you know, he researches the organization this guy is from and uh, bam, fills out an application to join. So you see, both Steve and Dave had an idea. They saw a possibility. They saw uh, a vehicle that they could use their gift in. They saw a vehicle. They saw potential in a specific vehicle. Both Steve and both Dave had the desire to go and help other people. Both Steve and both Dave want to be a solution to a problem. Both guys want to add value to other people. Both guys have a desire to serve their gift to the world. And both processes started out with an idea. All right. So let's go back to Dave. Well, <clears throat> Dave, right? All right, it's been it's been a hot minute. Woo, there's been some ups, some downs, some uh, some some tears. <laughs> some laughter, some procrastination, and then some work. And Dave finally finishes his product, right? He knows it's not perfect, but it works and it's usable, right? Dave, having made it, sees the flaws and he knows, you know, if he doesn't start selling this product, his dream's never going to come true, right? He's like, I got this product. It's not perfect, but it took me forever. But not only that, it's like, it's usable. I could see there's all kinds of ways it could become better, but can I use what I've created so far to help me move down the pathway? And that is a very necessary step, right? He's like, if I could just get a couple people to buy it, I know it will help them. And then he... He's like, I can ask for feedback and I can make, you know, I can take their feedback and make any necessary adjustments as I continue to move down. So Dave's like, all right, well, how am I going to get this product to people? Now this, this is a very important question. So Dave, he's like, all right, I'm going to create a website to promote and sell my products, right? So bam, he, uh, you know, gets a website, doing all kinds of research, trying to figure out how to do it, how to make it look cool. Uh, how do you get, uh, 
how do you actually sell products on a website, right? That whole deal. And uh, he's working on it, working on it, working on it. And, you know, over some time, he finishes and he's pumped, right? He's like, all right, here's, this is it. This is it. I'm going to get some sales. So bam, his website goes live and he's sitting there just waiting for the sales to come in, right? He's sitting at his computer, you know, five minutes goes by, hits the refresh button. Nothing happens. 20 minutes goes by. Nothing happens. One hour, refresh button, no sale. One day, one week, no sale. Oh my gosh. It's safe to say that Dave is uh, getting a little bummed, right? Because he made this product and he's thinking, all right, if I just create this website, people are going to come to it and I'm going to be able to sell products. But it's not working out quite as easy as he had thought. So Dave, you know, (laughs) Dave wanting to zone out, you know, grabs his phone, lays on the couch and kind of starts scrolling through Facebook. But as he scrolls through, an ad catches his attention. And the ad goes something like this. He's like, you know, are you a business owner? And he's like, yes. He's like, do you have a product, an online product to sell? He's like, yes. Are you having a hard time getting customers? He's like, yes. He's like, then you need to come to the seminar. And he's like, oh, man. He's like, this seminar will teach you how to promote your product. He's like, because a very common concept is that if I, if I create a product and have a website, somehow people are just going to flood to it and, and you're going to get sales. The problem is that's not how it works. You have to create attention. You have to get your product in front of people. Just because you make a website doesn't actually mean it shows up uh, on the first page. If somebody looks for your product, just in general, you know, if, if you make phones and somebody looks up phones, just because you have a website doesn't mean it's going to show up on top. There's, there's uh, uh, some things you have to do to be able to start working your way towards that front page. But there's ads you can create. There's ads you know, for Google search. There's ads for Facebook, for YouTube. There's all kinds of different ways you can get your product to show up, even if your website doesn't show up. But the thing is, is that just because you have a business doesn't mean anybody's going to purchase it, is going is to engage in business with you because they don't know you exist. And if they don't know you exist, there's no way... They can engage with you. And so he sees this ad and he's like, hot dang, right? There's a little more to this process than uh, uh, he, he thought about. And so, bam, Dave goes to this, this uh, signs up for this seminar. Now, what is this seminar? This seminar was an idea because somebody had, somebody had a problem promoting their own products and they had to go through this process of learning. And so through that process they were able to solve their problem. And then they start thinking, well, what if I can help other people solve the same problem? This is how businesses start, is you have an idea of how could I solve a problem? How could somebody else who has the same problem I have, how could I help them solve that problem? But there's a bit of a process known as sales, sales and marketing that you have to get into if you're actually going to be able to sell your product. And that's kind of like where Dave's at. Is Dave's like, I got my product, but I don't know what to do. I don't understand this next process. But that's what the seminar was helping him learn about. 
as like, hey, you actually got to promote, get somebody's attention to then be able to sell them on your idea. All right, so that's where Dave's at. Dave is working on his sales process because, look, if you're going to have a business that's going to support you where you're actually be able to pay your bills and to live, you need to generate income. And the way you do that in business is by selling your products. And the reason you have a product is because your product solves a problem or fulfills a need. It actually serves the customer. That's business. That's like kind of like the basic functionality of business. Now, where you go from there is very exciting. All right, so now we got Steve, right? So Steve's all pumped up. Steve's signed up for this organization, you know, uh, applied for to be able to work with the organization. And um, so somebody contacts him, you know, they're starting to talk, and he's like, all right, well, you know, this is a volunteer position. And so what that means is that you can come out here, but you have to fund yourself. You know, we'll provide, you know, the structure and the opportunities but you need to be able to fund yourself. And so the way you do that is by raising support. Steve's like, oh, yeah, that's no problem. No problem at all. He's like, okay, boom. So you need to raise $5,000 to be able to be eligible to, you know, come on board. And he's like, okay, no problem. So so the guy's like, all right, so here's like a, here, here's like a video that kind of explains how to support raise. Steve's like, sweet, I'm going to go watch that video. So he gets off the call and bam, turns on the video and starts, you know, going through this process. And they're like, oh, yeah, all you got to do is you just got to reach out to all your families and friends and just tell them you're going on this trip. And they're just, you know, and and you 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 ask them to support you and to uh, become on mission with you. And by them supporting you, they're part, part of the process, whatever. Right. So this video <laughs> is teaching Steve how to sell. You see, both Steve and both Dave need income. They both need money because in organized society, it functions off of money. You got to have it. He, Steve needs money for a flight. Steve needs money for housing. Steve needs money for food. Oh my gosh, you know what? So does Dave. It's the exact same thing. So you see, Steve, Steve's told like, hey, look, you know, we don't, uh, if you're going to work full time here, therefore, like, you're, you know, you're not going to have time to have a job or whatever. So you need to raise support. Well, the way you raise support is you try to sell another human being on coming part of your team. Say, if you fund me, then I can go serve these people and you will have been a part of that. That's sales, right? Both of these guys kind of had a bit of a seminar that talked about the very same principles. You need to sell, right? So the only way that Steve can generate income is he has to get in front of people. So maybe he writes a letter, and maybe maybe he writes 20 letters, and he gets one response. Or, you know, maybe he gets responses like, oh, man, that's awesome, and, you know, have fun. You know, I hope that all works out for you. And maybe one person's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'd like to give you a hundred bucks or whatever. He's like, all right, boom, a hundred bucks. I'm, I'm getting close to 5,000. <laughs> Absolutely. Every little bit helps. <clears throat> so, you know, he does kind of like your basic, your friends and your families. And, um, but man, he's got like 300 bucks, but he needs 5,000. So, 
you know, he goes and he talks to his pastor and he's like, Hey, you know, um, I'm, I'm, you know, that guest speaker came, I got all pumped up. I saw, you know, all these possibilities, you know, and I was just thinking, you know, if I, if I could, if I could maybe come and talk in front of church and be like, Hey, you know, just like he did, maybe I could generate enough funds to go. And the pastor's like, well, you know, that guy's actually here. Why don't you go and talk to him and see kind of what he does? And um, <clears throat> so Steve goes and gets the contact info for that guest speaker and goes and sits with them and, and says, hey, man, you, you inspired me, and now I'm signing up for the organization, and I need to raise uh, $5,000. I've, I've got 300 so far, kind of already reached out to my friends and families. Like, what do I do next, right? Like, Steve needs more help. <clears throat> And so, you know, this guy's been in for a while, and so he kind of kind of lays out the process. He's like, all right, well, <clears throat> you talk to your friends and your family. It's like you wrote them letters. Well, maybe you should call them. Like, that's great that you wrote them letters, but maybe not everybody read it, or, you know, just maybe somebody read it and was like, oh, I could do that, but they never did anything with it. He's like, you need to follow up with these people. You need to give them a call. But then, you know, if they say no, or even, or if they say yes, you want to start asking for referrals and referrals are, you know, you say, Hey, is there anybody else? Is there another phone number you can give me that I could call to somebody who might be interested in kind of partnering with me? Dude, this is sales. That guy just told him how to, how to, how to generate referrals. This is the sales process. And this is this is the whole point of, of these two made-up stories. And look, just to be clear, I was in missions and I had my own business. So I've been on both sides. I have received money and I have given money. Both of these processes function off of the same principles. First, you have to have an idea. You want to you need to move in a direction, right, where you where you can add value. Right, both missions and business starts off with an idea of, "Hey, I could be a solution to a problem." Then, both directions need to generate income, and in 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 business, you need sales by offering your product or your service, and in missions, you need sales through offering what are you offering? You're offering like a, an opportunity to invest in other people's lives that they don't know. And so I think both require a decent amount of effort. At the end of the day, both Steve and both Dave need to generate income. And that's really the point of the story is that the principles are the same. You have to generate income if you're in missions and you have to generate income if you're in business and you want to continue to succeed. But here's the thing, man. Both people in missions and both people who start out in business fail all the time. I mean, all the time, all the time, because neither the person starting the business or the person trying to get into missions understood this sales aspect right? Like you couldn't generate enough sales fast enough with a quantity great enough to be able to support yourself. This happens on both sides. Because sometimes it's like you think about missions, like, well, I just want to go serve people. Well, but there's this whole aspect of money that you need. Well, people are like, well, I want to go start this business, but there's this whole aspect of income that you have to have to be able to continue to push forward. Because 
if you're trying to advertise and promote and get in front of people, that stuff costs money. Now, there's many ways to advertise and promote that don't cost money. There's all kinds of different ways to do it. But my, my main point is that you have to do it for both vehicles, both pathways. You're in the sales game. You need income. And you're both trying to solve a problem. So let's get out of this idea that one is more holier than the other because it's not. Whatever you've been called to do, one, you've been given the ability, and two, it's your pathway to create influence and to manifest the kingdom of heaven on earth. You can do that in business just like you do that in missions. In missions, sometimes you typically go out to people and you're and essentially you're cold calling, like you're going out and trying to meet people on the street sometimes. And that's like their process. That's freaking sales. And that's, that's sales. And it's cold sales. Like, like I'm just going to talk to somebody about this solution. Well, it's just, it's the same process. And that's the point. So, just like you could go to a total random stranger and talk about Jesus, so you could hire somebody and teach people to function in the, how, how the kingdom of heaven functions and works and operates. You can bring people in and, and you can get into long-term training or short-term training, and you can help people become more valuable how to understand who they are and who God really is, how to, how to create a business, how to support themselves, how to operate it first on you know, specific principles and concepts. And you can be so good at what you do and you, you can solve such a legitimate problem so well, better than anybody else, that you create so much influence that governments come to you and say, hey, we need your help. And what do you bring? Freak, you bring the kingdom of heaven because you're, you're an ambassador. It doesn't matter what vehicle you are in. It matters that you're in a vehicle and you understand the process to succeed. So if, God, if, if, if you are feeling the call to move in the direction of business, then move in that direction. You are going to have to learn some new skills. You're going to have to develop some new attitudes. Better, bigger, everything in life. You should continually be moving towards towards like development and growth and maturity. Everything you should do should be leading you to new places, places that are uncomfortable and unfamiliar because that's where growth happens and you were created for growth. And, 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 and if while you still have breath in your lungs, you were created for growth, you still have potential to cultivate and pull out. You still have the kingdom of heaven to manifest in new and beautiful ways. So... Where do we go from here? If this is you, you know, kind of you're, you're on this pathway, you're making the shift, or maybe you're not in missions, but you know, whatever, you're, but you're making the shift into business, or even just you want to grow in greater knowledge in this whole process. Well, this is all just a way of thinking, you know, starting a business versus having a job requires kind of, you got to think in certain ways. And so where you should go from here, I think there's a, couple, there's a couple things we could do. And I think they all have to do with growing in knowledge. If you want to get into business, you need, to, you need to study, right? Because just like Dave and Steve, both of them 
there was this whole aspect of sales that they didn't totally understand and they needed to get into to be able to succeed in what they were setting out to do. So you want to start, you, you want to grow in knowledge in what the process is. So I think the very first thing you could do is you could go to my website at teambtransform.com and you could go to the contact us page and you could say that you listen to this, uh, this podcast and you're interested in this fit, this video program I made, it's called jumpstart your life of purpose. If you say you watch, you listen to this podcast and you want to continue on this process and you hit me up on the contact page, then I will send you the links to that video program. It's one hour long and it's, it's the process that is necessary to kind of take an idea and turn it into a reality. So it's just like we were talking about, you know, Dave and Steve had an idea and then they, they moved on it. Well, what is the process uh, that is necessary in order for you to go down that, that pathway? And that program would be a great start. From there, I think there are, let's say there's four, there's four books you could get into and you could get into these at, at any um in any order. But one would be uh, from Miles Monroe entitled The Spirit of Leadership. And what that book talks about is it talks about how everybody was created to lead and be a leader. And it's kind of getting into the concepts of how, why, you know, how God created us, what he created us to get into and how, you know, and why he called us all to be leaders. And so that is a book that helps kind of just keep, it helps to start shaping the correct attitudes of who you are and who God is. Another book, two, two books would be by Grant Cardone, who's a sales guy. The first book would be the 10X rule, which is really talking about um, the amount of effort it's going to take to create what you want to create. You know, essentially it's like whatever, however much effort you think it's going to take times that by 10, right? Because he's like, you know, people fail all the time because they underestimate how much effort it's going to take. And so anyways, that, that, that book goes through that process. That's called the 10X rule. The second one by Grant Cardone is sell or be sold. And this kind of talks about like, if you're a human being and you interact with other human beings, you're engaged in sales, right? If, if you have two people, uh, who want to go out to eat and one person's like, Hey, I want to go here. And the other person's like, nah, I'd rather go here. Like you're trying to sell the other person on where you want to go. You're trying to come to an agreement and that's sales. And so that's what that book is. And both of those books, 10 X and seller be sold are both an audio form where Grant narrates it. And, uh, yeah, I've listened to those multiple times. And then the last one, this is like, if you are only going to do one thing, do this. And that is um, Earl Nightingale's audio program uh, that's called Lead the Field. You find that it's uh, in any audiobook store. You know, it was like 25 bucks on uh, iTunes. This, purchase this audiobook. I have listened to this audiobook many, many times. And this audiobook will really give you some of the, 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 the ideas necessary 
to move in this direction. So if you were only going to do one thing, I would get this audio program. So that's what I would do. If I was you and looking to move forward, I would get, I would immerse myself into high quality information that's going to help move me down the pathway. So my good peoples, I hope this helps. Until next time, peace.